Last summer, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, I was woken up to the sound of my wife screaming, and not an excited kind of screaming. Uh, Immediately, I was panicked, and I started to ask her, Carmen, what's going on? What's wrong? And she said to me, I'm spinning. I'm going to fly off of the bed. And I looked over there, and she was just gripping the mattress with everything that she had. And then as a guy, I was trying to think, I just need to tell her you're not actually going to fly off of the bed. You know, because I just want to use ration and reason to try to mansplain to her everything that's happening around this. But I've learned in a lot of years of marriage that that is not the time for that. But what my wife was actually experiencing was extreme vertigo. And she'd never experienced that before. And so to make a long story short, I want to try to explain to you what was happening in her ears. Now, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a physical therapist, but I'm going to try to explain to you what I heard from the doctors of what was going on inside of her. See, our ears have these canals in there that have fluid in them. And this fluid has little crystals that float around in there as well. And in this fluid also, there's these kind of like hair type things that move and give us, give our brain understanding of what our positioning is. But what can happen is that those crystals can go rogue and get into places in the ear that they don't really belong, and it starts to mess with those little hairs in your ear, and it starts to create this sensation that you're completely disoriented. That's what my wife was experiencing. So to make a long story short, as we fast forward, we had to get to the doctor because she was completely debilitated. She couldn't walk. Even for me to try to get to her car, I just had to pick her up and carry her as best as I could just to get her into the car to get to the hospital. We get to the hospital. They refer us to a physical therapist. Same thing. I'm just carrying her around. Get her to the physical therapist. And as we sit in the office... We had this great experience with it. Like, she was not having a great experience. I don't mean that. But he was so helpful for us, explaining what was happening inside of her ears. But we ultimately got to the place where she's sitting on the examination table. He's got her head in her hands. And he says to us, mostly to her, you're going to have to trust me. What I'm going to do for you is going to help you. You want to know what he did? He took her and he went, wham! He did. Slammed her down on the examination table. The purpose was to try to dislodge those crystals from those little hairs. And then he was able to do this because he knew what he was doing. He understood, like, if that crystal gets dislodged, I know how those canals work inside of her head. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to position her head and move it to try to tip that crystal back to where it belongs. Is that incredible or what? Here's what happened. Ultimately, she went from a place where she was completely disoriented, where she got to a place ultimately where she was reoriented. 
He was able to help her do that, but we had to trust him. That's a picture that I want you to have in your mind as we walk through this series. Because as Brian said, relationships are complicated. We don't always do a great job at relationships, but we have a God who understands relationships. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. This is what I'm doing as well, is I wanna ask you, would you just let Jesus put his hands on your face? And would you just say, I trust you. And when he says to you, trust me, even if he has to slam you down a little bit and try to reorient some things inside of your head and your heart, will we just trust him? that he knows what he's doing in relationships. Because if you've lived life at all, you know that relationships are hard. They can be amazing, but they can be really, really hard. Marriage can be absolutely awesome, but it can be one of the most difficult things in life. Being a parent can bring some of the greatest joy ever to our life. And you also know that being a parent can bring some of the greatest sorrows to our life. And being a kid and having parents, sometimes parents are great, right? But sometimes they're not so great. Relationships are challenging. Dating relationships, let's talk about those down the road a little bit, huh? Friends, neighbors, coworkers, it's complicated. Church relationships, I'm just so glad those are all easy. Yeah, sometimes they can be the worst of all the relationships. But here's what's true. Your success in life and your ability to be able to experience this life and the fullness of this life is gonna hinge on your ability to do relationships well. We've got to figure out how to do relationships. Because some of the greatest joys that maybe you've even experienced in your life or ever will experience is gonna become because of the people that you've experienced it with, richness of relationships. And I know this is true as well. The greatest pain, the greatest heartache that you've experienced in your life has probably come at the hands of people, sometimes even the people that are closest to us. God wants to speak into that. God wants us to have a great relationship with him, and God himself is a relationship. God exists as a relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in relationship together. He knows relationships. He wants us connected to him, but he wants us to be connected to each other. We gotta trust him. Can we put our head and our heart in his hands and just say, God, you know better than me. You know how to do this right. I'm gonna trust you. I want to do it your way. I want you to help me deal with this puzzle, putting the pieces back together. Brian shared with you earlier that the way we're gonna unpack this series is through that verse from Colossians chapter three. And today we're gonna be looking at one of those first words in that verse, tenderhearted mercy. If we're gonna understand how to do relationships, we're gonna have to understand tenderhearted mercy. And the way the Bible uses that word, it's the idea of a gift. When you think about that word mercy that the Bible uses, it's this idea of giving somebody a gift, giving somebody a gift that they don't even deserve. That's mercy. Another way or another word that we often use to describe that, another biblical word, is the word forgiveness. If you are going to have healthy relationships in your life, you've got to figure out 
how to forgive. You've got to learn to forgive people, not just once, not just twice, continuously. It needs to become part of who you are. Big things, small things, forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is like oil in the engine of a car. It's what keeps it running. It keeps things lubricated. If you take the oil out of an engine, it immediately becomes hot and the engine burns up and it quits working. You take forgiveness out of relationships. They get hot and the engine burns up and relationships burn up and they quit working. That's why one of the major themes of Jesus, this whole idea of forgiveness. He talked about it all the time. His forgiveness toward us, but our need to extend forgiveness to one another. He talked about it so much that there was a time that Peter, Peter always just had a question for a brain. He was just always wanting to ask the the right best question because Jesus talked about this so much. Peter raises his hand and he has a question. And that's where we're gonna start in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now you've got to understand a little bit of what Peter might have been thinking. Kind of the the law and the tradition was you kind of forgive someone around two, maybe three times, and then that's it. No more after that. So Peter, I'm imagining that he's thinking, I want to double that and then add one to it. So when I say this to Jesus, he's going to think, man, Peter's really getting this thing about forgiveness. Not exactly. Jesus continues, verse 22. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. You got to understand that this probably created a little bit of vertigo for Peter, a little bit disorienting. Because what Jesus was trying to communicate is there's no end to forgiveness. 70 times seven, it just keeps going. There is absolutely no end. But to try to help Peter with his vertigo, to try to move his head and his heart around, to get him oriented to how God thinks about forgiveness, Jesus tells a story, and the story goes like this. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to the king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Sounds about right. You do the crime, you do the time. Justice has been served. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave the debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. I mean, you can kind of imagine like, 
what's this guy's deal? He's been, his debt was so big and this debt was so small. Then they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then here's the punchline. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Here's what I imagine happened to Peter as he heard that story. He was jarred. Friends, this story is intended to jar us. We've got to ask some significant questions. What is it that Jesus is trying to teach us about forgiveness here? The first question that we've got to ask is, what does this reveal about our heart? What does this reveal about our heart and our ability to forgive others? Let's start right at the end, right where we ended, the king's response to the unmerciful servant. I want to read it again. I think it's that important. Verse 34, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Prison, torture. How long? Till he paid the debt. And they understood, those that were listening to this story, that the amount that was being talked about was so enormous that nobody could ever pay that debt back. So what is it that Jesus is alluding to here? Prison, torture, forever. He's talking about eternal punishment. He's talking about hell. Is that what happens to us when we are unforgiving? We've got to pause for a second, at least, to just let the weight and the understanding of how important this is to Jesus. It's not just to like, yeah, forgive if you want to, don't if you want to. This matters to him. And sometimes I think people might say, well, you know, this is just a parable. It's just kind of a story that kind of has some connections to it. But Jesus over and over made this abundantly clear to everyone that he talked to. This is that important. In one of his greatest sermons, his most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, he says it even more directly. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. What is Jesus saying here? It is the message then that if I forgive, that merits heaven for me. And if I don't forgive, that merits hell for me. There's too much that we know about the message of the kingdom of God, that that isn't what he's trying to say. Because nothing that we can do or not do can merit heaven for us or keep us out of heaven. It's only about what he's done for us, his death on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin and our putting our faith in that. That's the only thing that merits heaven for us. But here's what I believe Jesus wants us to hear that we need to look at our heart. And if we have a heart that is unwilling to forgive people around us, Jesus is saying, when you close your heart to forgiveness, that needs to alert you. 
You have closed your heart to me. If your heart doesn't forgive, your heart is not connected to him in the way that he wants it to be connected. Think about this kind of an illustration. Think about an apple tree. An apple tree that's just got, just full of apples. You know that it's not the apples that give life to the tree. It's the tree that produces the apples. In the same way, forgiveness is a fruit of a tree that is alive. This is how we know that we are alive in Christ if the fruit of our life is forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't create the life, it is the fruit of the life that's in us. And this is the idea that Jesus wants us to understand from this parable. Let me help you, because let me go over here first. This idea of mercy, this idea of forgiveness is this idea of extending a gift to somebody. Giving a gift that they don't deserve. They didn't work for it, they didn't earn it, but you give it to them like we give at Christmas. You don't deserve Christmas presents. It's given to you out of the goodness of people's hearts. But here's what we've got to understand. There's another gift. Oh, use your legs. There's another gift that's huge. The gift of forgiveness in Christ. This is what Jesus said. This is what helps people. This is what gives us the power and the motivation to be able to extend forgiveness to people. It's because we have been captured by. Our heart has been melted by. We are in such gratitude toward God for the incredible forgiveness that he's given to us in Christ. This huge forgiveness. All of our sins, past, present, and future, paid for by Jesus' death on the cross for us. And we look at that and we are so thankful. And what it allows us to do is to take these little gifts, things that are so much smaller, and be able to extend those to other people. That's the point or the picture of this parable. And when we are unwilling to forgive others, something has gone wrong. Either we have never experienced, either we don't understand, or somehow we have lost sight of the magnitude of what God has done for us. It reveals we've lost sight of the gospel, the good news of Jesus when we're unwilling to forgive others. But secondly, this text tells us, what does forgiveness require of us? What does this mean that we need to do? We see it very clearly in Matthew chapter 18, verse 26. There's three phrases that describe the heart of the merciful king. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. First of all, it says that the merciful king had pity on him. Now, this doesn't just mean like, ah, he felt sorry for him. No, he did more than that. The king identified with the one that was in his debt. There was empathy. There was compassion. He moved toward him. So many times when there's this unforgiveness in our life, someone has wronged us, we just put them on the other side of the table. 
Like, we're on one side, they're on the other. But what this merciful king does is he goes around the table, gets beside the person, and he empathizes with them and their situation. He has pity on him. You know what happens to us when we put someone on the other side of the table? We like to do that because what it does is it creates distance between us and them. They are so wrong for what they did to us. Their offense against us. And what we tend to like to do is create a caricature of them. You know what a caricature is? You've you've seen those artists, right? They paint these caricatures where they take like one aspect of a feature of someone and they blow it up. They make it way bigger for effect, exaggeration, and it looks funny. We can do the exact same thing with someone when they have offended us. We create a caricature of them. That is who they are. They lied to me. They're a liar. That's all they are. All they are is a liar. But then I might ask you, have you ever lied? You'd be like, well, yeah, but it's complicated. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you why I did what I did. Caricature, justification. And when we sit on the other side of the table, it just gives us that position where we want to think that we are better than someone else that we are more deserving of forgiveness than someone else. Self-righteous. I'm not like them. But here's the truth, friend. People that have offended us, we are so much more like them than we would ever, ever want to admit. I love how Tim Keller said it. He said, forgiveness flounders in my life because I exclude the offender from the community of humans And I exclude myself from the community of sinners. If we're going to have a heart that is willing to forgive, we just need to realize we stand on level ground with everybody. We are all in need of forgiveness. The king identified. He had pity. He had compassion on the one that had offended him. But secondly, he did something else. He forgave the debt. He forgave the debt. When you are wronged, something is taken from you. It creates a debt-debtor relationship. Now, in this story that we're reading about, it's about money. But we lose a lot more things than money in life. Other things get taken from us, and we feel it. We know that someone has taken something that belonged to me. Maybe it was your reputation. Someone said things, did things that caused people to think about you in ways that weren't true and right. Maybe someone stole from you the opportunity for you to end your life married to the person that you started your life married to. Someone took that from you. Maybe it was love and attention that you deserved growing up that was never given to you. Someone stole that from you. Maybe it was security. Maybe it was your innocence. Maybe it was a future that you had for yourself. There's a debt. A debt is incurred when someone offends us. And then we stand there with that debt and we've got two choices that we can make. We can try to make them pay or we can pay the debt ourselves. It just feels good sometimes to try to make them pay, doesn't it? We think, you know, whenever that person gets brought up, I'm gonna gossip about them. I'm gonna slander them. I'm gonna try to undercut them. 
in any way that I can. There's something in us that feels good. Maybe that's making them pay for what they did to me. And we hold on to bitterness in our heart. Maybe, maybe we try to make them pay by withholding love. I'm not gonna relate to them. I'm not gonna give them love in this life. Maybe we try to get them back just in our own heart by secretly hoping bad things happen to them. And when we hear the bad things happen to them, we'd never say it out loud. We would always say, oh, that's too bad. But inside our heart is smiling because we want them to pay. But there's a second choice. The choice of the merciful king. He canceled the debt. He said, I'm gonna pay the debt for you. And let me just be really, really honest with you. If you decide to pay the debt for, there is suffering that you incur. Not only the original suffering that they inflicted upon you, but to pay the debt yourself incurs more suffering. But it's in that place where we feel like we have to make them pay rather than pay ourselves that we get stuck. We just get stuck in life and we realize we're thinking all along that we're trying to make them pay, but the truth is, friend, you are paying. In your bitterness, your unforgiveness, you are paying. Their hooks are in you. Whether they even know that they've offended you or not, their hooks are in your life. I love how Frederick Beekner says it. He says, of all the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, and to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain that you are given and the pain that you are giving back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. But then he goes on. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. We can try to make people pay. And honestly, even if they wanted to pay us back, they probably couldn't give us back what they've taken from us. But that's why the message of the kingdom is that we forgive. We're willing to pay the debt. Here's what you've got to hear today. Forgiveness, it's a decision. It's a decision. It's an act of the will. Forgiveness is a decision. Can you just say that with me? Forgiveness is a what? Decision. One more time. Forgiveness is a? Decision. If you're online, forgiveness is a? People saying decision all over the world. Forgiveness is a decision to say, you don't owe me any more. Cancel the debt. Forgiveness is a decision. You don't owe me anymore. And then what does the king do? Let's him go. Just let's him go. You don't owe me anymore. That doesn't come natural, does it? No. Not to me, not to you, not to anybody. Being able to do that is supernatural. 
And the only way we can ever do it is when we keep our eyes and our heart focused on the magnitude of what we've been forgiven in Christ so that we can take small gifts of forgiveness and just throw it out like candy at a parade to everyone that wrongs us. The magnitude of what has been done for us. But the rubber meets the road somewhere, doesn't it? How are we gonna respond to Jesus in this story that he tells? One of the things we wanna do in this series is we wanna be intensely practical. We want to give you some tools that you can use to help you. I think the first question that you're really gonna have to get honest about is, do I really want to forgive? Because if you don't want to, you never will. You can't just go through the motions. Do you wanna forgive or do you want to hang on to it? Do you wanna just keep telling your story over and over and over again? Do you wanna just keep telling it? And I know how this happens because I've talked about this topic so many times over my life. People are gonna come up to me after this message and they're gonna say, that was really great. I loved what you had to say about forgiveness, but you need to hear my story. You need to understand what happened to me because if you heard my story, you would understand. And now I will tell you that on a spectrum of people, I probably tend toward the empathetic side. I will probably sit down with you. I will probably listen to your story. It will probably break my heart. I will probably cry with you. But at the end of the day, both of us only have one option. And the option is this. I've got to get my arm around you and I've got to walk you over to this. I've got to walk you over to remind you this is what God did for you in Christ. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to name his name, if we're going to take the name Christian, we have no right to forgive, to, uh, to unforgiveness. We've got to forgive. You knew what I meant. <laughs> so how do we do that? We've got some work to do. There's three questions that I think every one of us needs to ask in order to understand where our heart is as it relates to unforgiveness. The first question is simply you need to determine who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? This is what I wanna ask you to do. When you identify that person, I want you to take a three by five card and we're gonna pass these out in a little bit and I want you to write a name on there. Write it down. Make it tangible. And some of you are thinking that's the easiest part of this sermon. I've been thinking about three or four people the whole time you've been talking. It'd be the easiest part for you to apply. But maybe for some of you, it's a little more subtle. I don't know if there's people that I haven't forgiven. Let me just ask you a few questions. Are you stuck in your past? Is there a story that you're just telling yourself over and over again about someone, about something that happened to you? You've got work to do. And this is me. I'm just gonna be totally transparent. Do you have imaginary conversations with people this is, this is how it happens to me. If there's someone that I need to forgive, if there's something between us, I have these imaginary conversations. And in those conversations, it always goes so awesome for me. Like I know exactly what to say. All the words are coming. I am so right and you are so wrong. And, and in the best versions of these imaginary conversations, there's like a crowd that starts gathering around and they're all cheering for me. Bob, you're so right, they're so wrong. That's your pastor. No one else imaginary conversations? 
I know you do. If you're having imaginary conversations with people, you got work to do. You got forgiveness work. Are there there people that you just avoid them at all costs? And if you see them, you just want to hide. You just want to stay away. You've got work to do. When someone's name comes up, do you relish the idea of using their name for gossip or slander? You just love hearing other people talk negatively about them? You got work to do. Do you wish in your heart negative things for people? If you do, you've got work to do. And here's the deal, we all have work to do. This was a challenging week for me. You can't write this sermon and not let the spirit of God unearth things in your own life. I've got work to do. Write it down. A second question that you need to ask, you need to define, what do they owe me? You gotta write it down. What do they owe you? What do they, and I know you're gonna wanna skip this like, I don't need to do that. No, you need to do this. And here's why. You need to think about what is it in your mind's eye that was taken from you? Maybe it was your innocence. Maybe it was your marriage. Maybe it was your happiness. Maybe it was your childhood. You name it. But here's why I believe this is so important. You can't cancel a debt that you can't define. What is it? What is it that they took from you? And then the third question that you've got to ask yourself as you're looking at that name and what they took from me, you've got to ask the question, will I cancel the debt? Am I willing to say, because of what Jesus has done for me, they don't owe me anymore. I'm not going to try to get them to pay for what they did for me, to me. And here's why this is so difficult. They do owe you. They did take something from you. In the same way that we owe Jesus. But when we stand before Jesus, if you are a follower of him, if you've bowed your knee to him, you've surrendered your life to him, when you stand before him one day, and maybe in your heart you're saying, Jesus, what do I need to do to make it up to you? He will simply look at you and say, you don't owe me anymore. Are you going to make the decision to do that for others? In light of what you've received, are you going to give those little gifts? Even though they feel huge to you, are you willing to give those gifts of forgiveness? You don't owe me anymore. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You're not going to be able to do this work right now Because this takes time, identifying who it is that we're mad at, identifying what it is that they took from us. It takes time to work on that. But the third thing that I'm going to ask you to do when you've done that work and you've decided, I want to say to them, you don't owe me anymore. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take this and I want you to destroy it in some kind of a physical way. Maybe for you, it would be just simply ripping it up and throwing it away. A reminder, they don't owe me anymore. Maybe for some of you, maybe a little pyromaniacs out there, (laughs) this isn't gonna do it. You need to light this on fire and you need to burn it. A picture, a reminder, they don't owe me anymore. 
Maybe it's buried in the backyard. I don't care what it is, but do something tangible that reminds you that you, they don't owe you anymore. You know what will happen if you do that? You'll never think about it ever again. That is an absolute lie. (laughs) Thank you some people for chuckling and not taking. No, you will remember it. You're gonna remember it. It's not gonna go away instantly. But when you do remember it, I want you to remember what you did with what they did to you. You said, in light of what Christ did for me, they don't owe me anymore. Every time we're reminded, that's our cue. In light of what Jesus did for me, they don't owe me anymore. Because the bottom line of this parable, the bottom line of what Jesus is trying to do to try to reorient us in relationships is that we need to understand that it's only forgiven people, only people that have been forgiven much that have the power and the motivation to forgive others. As we step into our reflection time, you see there's some clear buckets on the end of the way with some three by five cards in there. I want every one of you to grab one. And like I said, you're not gonna be able to do the work today, but this is what I want. I want you to have that three by five card so you can take it home, you can put it in a prominent place to remind yourself, I've got work to do. And maybe you need to go to Staples and buy packs of three by five cards because there's that much work that you need to do. Do the work. Because until we do that work, we're gonna short circuit the relationships in our life and we're gonna short circuit what God wants to do in our life. Jesus, as we wrap up here, I just wanna thank you. Collectively, as the Journey Church family, I wanna thank you for the cross. Thank you that because of what you did for us and the magnitude of that, that we have the power to be able to forgive others. Jesus, would you help us do the work that we need to do to free our hearts, to help us move past all the bitterness, all the things that are at work in us that are keeping us from experiencing you in your absolute fullness right now. Jesus, help us do the work. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.